Welcome to History Conspiracy Podcast, where we provide the audio and you decide whether it's history or conspiracy. If you would like to support this podcast, you can go to paypal.com and donate any amount to History Conspiracy Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for your support. President Eisenhower was asked to give his reaction on November 22nd, 1963. I share the sense of shock and dismay that the entire nation must feel at the despicable act that took the life of the nation's president. On the personal side, Mrs. Eisenhower and I share the grief that Mrs. Kennedy must now feel. And we send to her our prayerful thoughts and sympathetic sentiments at this, in this hour. General, how would you counsel the American people at this time? In the face of such a terrible thing, I'm sure the uh, entire citizenry of the nation will join as one man in expressing their, not only their grief, but their indignation at this act, and will stand faithfully behind the government. General, could you tell us how you got the word? I was at a meeting uh, for the United Nations, and uh, while there, a member of the meeting was called out and uh, came back and told us the news. Although at that time, uh, uh, we did not know the president was dead. We did not know when I got back here at that time that he was dead. But um, matter of fact, we had a, the last message we had was one rather of hope. And the entire company uh, merely paused for a minute at the request of the chairman and each of us in his own way uh, said a silent prayer for the president. Should there be any concern, sir, over national security at a time like this? No, I think the whole nation now would be uh, almost all of us security agents. Will the nation be all right in a few months ahead? Oh, I'm not going to uh, predict anything of that. I just say this. The American nation is a people of great common sense. And they are not going to be stampeded or bewildered. Thank you, General Mr. President. history has uh, have assassinations affected uh, the political course of events? Well, of course, in Lincoln's uh, assassination, you were the uh, presidency went to a man who was a registered Democrat, uh, Mr. Johnson, in uh, Garfield. I doubt that there was any. And, of course, McKinley, that brought in uh, uh, Theodore Roosevelt. Of course, there have been other attempts in late years. Uh, Mr. Truman was at a grave threat toward his, to his life, and Mr. Roosevelt, just before he was inaugurated, you remember, down in, uh, when the Mayor Cermak was killed, was uh, 
ran a very grave uh, risk. There, these things have happened, and, and, and it seems inexplicable to me, because Americans are loyal, and it's just this uh, occasional psychopathic sort of uh, uh, accident that occurs, and I, I don't know what we can do about it. Could you say anything, General, about how people will feel abroad from all your experience with the United Nations and others? How will it be taken abroad? Well, I think they will be uh, a bit bewildered. This, um, in the civilized countries of the world, this doesn't happen uh, so often. And uh, you remember in the, the starting of World War I, the uh, murder of the Archduke Ferdinand, I think his name was, why this, this itself almost, uh, well, it's one of the contributory causes to uh, that war. And, uh, but here, I, I just don't know what happens. And it, but we are a nation that where our freedoms are allowed, or are uh, observed in such a way that everybody is uh, uh, ready uh, to, I mean, everybody is, uh, you might say, capable of doing this if he's ready to put his own life on the line. General, how will you spend the rest of today and tomorrow? How do you spend the rest of today and then tomorrow? I expect, I canceled the dinner date that I had for tonight. Tomorrow, I'm going immediately to my home, and if I'm wanted for any purpose whatsoever, I will, of course, be available. Would you have any advice to the American people at this time? No, as I said, I know the American people will stand solid and they will not be uh, stampeded. Thank you, Mr. President. All right. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Good night, fellows. Uh, Next is the nightly news program from November 22nd, 1963, featuring the controversial Dan Rather. Dan Rather, are you at the other end of the line? Yes, Dick. Good evening. Good evening to you. Uh, Dan, what is the mood and, and the, the spirit in Dallas tonight? Dick, the mood in Dallas is still one of very deep shock. There are many people in Dallas who sincerely and literally still have a very difficult time believing what happened here today. Right after the word came that the president had been sped to a hospital, switchboards all over town, at the police station, at television stations, radio stations, newspapers, were simply flooded with calls, uh, almost all of them saying, it isn't so, is it, that the president has been shot? Then when the official announcement was made that the president not only had been shot but was dead, you, you could feel it. You walked downtown and the streets were suddenly practically empty. Uh, just a hour or so before, they had been filled with people who had poured out an extremely warm greeting for President Kennedy and for Mrs. Kennedy. Dallas was very anxious to make up for what it felt were some hours of shame during the recent visit of United Nations Ambassador Abby Stevenson, uh, during the days of the 1960 campaign when it was felt that whether you were a Republican or a Democrat, that Vice President Lyndon Johnson had been mistreated in a hotel lobby by what some called uh, extreme right-wing elements. Dallas was all out today 
to make amends for some of those things of which the city's leaders were ashamed. Up until the time the three shots rang out, this had been what native Dallasites were freely calling probably the biggest turnout for any president since possibly the days of Franklin Roosevelt. It was called by President Kennedy himself by several witnesses, one of whom was Mrs. John Connolly, the wife of the Texas governor who was also injured. Many witnesses said that President Kennedy had said, both at the Dallas airport and during the long, slow motorcade winding through the downtown area, that this was by far the warmest reception he had received in Texas, that is, until the shots were fired. Wasn't Tonight, there isn't much activity on the streets. Normally, Dallas is a rather sophisticated uh, nightlife town. There isn't much of that going on tonight. No final decision has been made, but officials of Texas Christian University and Rice University are considering, and I underline considering, cancellation of tomorrow's scheduled Southwest Conference football game. Uh, the same type of consideration is going on between officials of Southern Methodist University and Baylor. At this time of year, football is very big down in this part of the country, but there is there are some strong indications that uh, all of the football games scheduled for tomorrow may be canceled. Uh, officials of the universities are now conferring on that. The city is in a deep state of shock, and I think it's safe to say that over the next several days, you're going to see some outward manifestations of extremely deep soul-searching on the part of not only Dallasites, but all of Texas. This is something, it may be Texas' darkest hour ever. Uh, Dan, uh, there is a report uh, circulating now that a charge will be filed before midnight, your time, in connection with the president's death. Do you have anything on that? Ever since the man Oswald was arrested this afternoon, approximately two and a half hours after the president's death was announced, there have been uh, varying reports that charges were imminent concerning the president's death. Uh, we also have heard the report that charges may be filed before midnight. The only fact that we can point to is that a justice of the peace that has been standing by at police headquarters for the last six hours on the possibility that some charges may be filed is still there. And it is possible uh, that some charges will be filed before midnight our time. That would be one o'clock on the East Coast. But other than the fact that a justice of the peace is standing by with charges prepared, ready to be filed, there is nothing else in the way of solid evidence to indicate that might be so. What can you say, Dan, about the uh, physical appearance, the, uh, uh, the uh, conduct of Oswald? Have you, have you seen him personally? Yes, I have, Dallas. He's a, a short, slight man. He is five feet, nine inches tall, according to the police, and he actually appears to be a little shorter than that. He's almost jockey size. He weighs about 145 to 60 pounds dark hair, a receding hairline uh, at the edges, hawk-nosed, a very intense man. He was literally arrogant when brought into the police station for questioning. He has shouted at newsmen a number of times when he has been in their presence. The last couple of times that he has been in sight and earshot of newsmen, he has screamed out, I didn't do it, I didn't do it, I am not represented by counsel, uh, this is not fair. Other than that, the background on Oswald locally, he lived in a suburb of Dallas, and by the way, you know, there's some dispute over exactly which suburb he lived in. Police say that he was a resident of Irving, which is a rapidly growing suburb outside Dallas, but uh, the mayor of Irving, Irving called the local radio and television stations not uh, too many minutes ago, we're told, saying that 
he had established Oswald was not a resident of Irving, that he was a resident of Oak Cliff, which is still another suburban area of Dallas. But at any rate, uh, he did live in a suburban area of the city. He lived in an apartment. The lady from whom he rents the apartment says that Oswald was an avid reader of cowboy books. She also says that he has been rather quiet the past few days. His wife is a Russian-speaking woman. Uh, she speaks only limited English. Uh, is and it that's perhaps about the book on Oswald as we've been able to observe and gather from police. Mm -hmm. Dan, uh, it's perhaps significant, or is it, that the theater where he was captured is in Oak Cliff? It very well might be. I think what you're pointing to is it's possible that Oswald was trying to get back to uh, his home. Uh, it may be significant that the Texas theater is located in Oak Cliff. We'll simply have to wait and see. Oh, could you tell us something, Dan, about uh, his being booked on charges of shooting and killing patrolman Tippett? Is that definite? Has he been booked on that charge? That is definite. He has been booked on that charge, and at the moment, that is the only charge on which he has been booked. Uh, police say they have very strong evidence, including at least one eyeball witness to the shooting of that police officer, which, by the way, did not occur in the theater. Uh, there have been conflicting reports yes, on exactly where that killing of the police officer occurred. It was not in the theater. Uh, Oswald reportedly, allegedly, tried to shoot a policeman inside the theater as police closed in on him. Uh, we're told by police that he aimed a pistol at an officer and the pistol had a misfire as he aimed it at the officer. But Officer Tiplett was not killed inside the theater. Uh, Dan, you said a moment ago that Oswald uh, protests that he has no counsel. Uh, is counsel, counsel being supplied? Do you know anything about that? Has he called a lawyer? I don't know. Uh, police aren't saying. They uh, obviously, and I think uh, perhaps understandably, are not saying much at this stage. Now, of course, the law is very clear that in practice in Texas, uh, from many years of reporting on the police beat in this area, the practice in Texas generally is that uh, a suspect in any case is given an opportunity to call counsel within two hours after his arrest. It's not a hard and fast rule. There have been various interpretations by the courts on uh, how soon a person should be allowed to call his counsel. So far as I know, Oswald has not contacted counsel. Whether or not he's been given an opportunity to contact anyone or not, I can't say. Has he seen his wife? I don't believe he has seen his wife. I understand that his wife has been questioned by police. His wife has been questioned by police. Uh, has she been able to uh, shed any further light on this, do you know? Well, the police haven't told us what she said other than to say that she does not speak uh, good English. Uh, I gather the impression that they're having a hard time getting anything out of her simply because they have a difficult time understanding her. Dan, it's uh, too early to uh, certainly to, to proclaim guilt or innocence, and it may be that uh, this man, this suspect, is, is incidental. Is there any reasonable speculation in Dallas tonight as to the motive of this crime? Was, is, there, is there anything that uh, led up to it that uh, might shed some light on the circumstance? Well, Dick Dallas has a long history, of at least a 20-year history, of a building conservative movement in the city. Uh, you and Dallas discussed this earlier, I believe. As you know, former Major General Edwin Walker lives here in town. H.L. Uh, Hunt, the famed Texas millionaire who has been associated with conservative movements, lives here. There have been a number of nationally prominent, uh, strongly conservative movements headquartered in Dallas. And there are some people, of course, who are trying to make some connection. But I think it's far too early for that. Um, and most of course, the Dallasites with whom I've spoken are hoping, at least, and I think most of them believe that this was the work of a 
a madman who was an excellent shot. And Dan, I think it might also be pointed out that none of that uh, history of right-wing strength in Dallas jives with what we know of the background of Oswald, who appears to be uh, uh, rather on the other side of the political spectrum. It he certainly does not look at it anywhere. That's a point well taken. Oswald, as I think you pointed out earlier, uh, was arrested in New Orleans for handing out uh, pro-Castro propaganda, as yes. I understand it. And he certainly, from all we can gather, was on the direct opposite end of the political spectrum from the strongly conservative movements with which Dallas has been associated in recent years. Dan, did these strongly conservative movements uh, show any growing trend toward action? Uh, what I have in mind is that in so many of the violent incidents of, of recent months and years, uh, the, the perpetrators have perhaps been, been encouraged by the condoning of, of violence by people in authority, politically and otherwise, and have perhaps felt themselves justified in, in having recourse to, to extreme, to savage, to criminal methods in, in terms of dynamitings and shootings and the rest. Has there been anything building up in Dallas uh, which might perhaps provide a, a psychological uh, foundation for this kind of action? Before today, Dick, I would say quite the opposite. I think there was perhaps a, a building feeling among the, some of these very extreme right-wingists in Dallas uh, all say two years ago toward lashing out in perhaps frustration that nonetheless moving toward violence of some kind perhaps not uh, desperate violence but uh, taking action let us say but the Oxford Mississippi affair sobered up an awful lot of people in this whole part of the country and the Birmingham school bombing seemed to be having the effect of quietening down the the action elements but in light of today if any connection is ever made between some of the persons and groups who have been called ultra-rightists and what happened here today, then you would have to say that uh, the action elements have indeed been moving toward more action and more violence. But let me emphasize that I don't think that uh, any connection, any direct connection, will ever be established. You said earlier, Dan, that uh, there's a great deal of soul. Now to the KRL Newsroom and Eddie Barker. From the KRLD newsroom, we've had a lot of calls tonight pertaining to the SMU-Baylor game that was scheduled for Waco tomorrow afternoon. We've just been informed by SMU athletic officials the SMU-Baylor game has definitely been postponed. Tentatively, it will be played on December the 7th. However, that is not official, but it will not be played tomorrow. SMU-Baylor officially postponed uh, tomorrow. There will be no ball game in Waco between SMU and Baylor tomorrow. Now back to the uh, CBS network. From a distance, and some of them perhaps found a little funny, a man being perhaps hit by a picket or uh, some lady spitting upon someone else. Now suddenly there seems to be a dawning and uh, a lot of sobering of people who took no interest in this kind of thing or gave it only a passing glance or perhaps laughed at it in the past, saying to themselves, this is and has been for some time very serious business in Dallas. It's that kind of soul-searching that I believe is going on now. Yeah. Will there be any, any political repercussions if the, the president uh, had been on a, frankly, political fence-mending tour uh, uh, to, 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 to mend uh, a, a rather split or shattered uh, Democratic Party? Will this um, uh, serve to unify it again? I would think so, certainly. I think that 
when President Kennedy and Vice President Johnson started out on this Texas trip, that there was a very good chance would not go in the Democratic column in the 1964 elections. That view was shared by many longtime political observers in the state. In light of what happened today, the Democrats probably will carry the state uh, overwhelmingly. Now, that, of course, is an opinion, and it's a long time before election time. But my guess is that what happened here today will certainly unify and solidify the Democratic Party in Texas. And a unified, solidified group of Democrats are very difficult to, to beat in this section of the country and in Texas in particular. Dan, can we go back for just a moment to the uh, frantic events immediately following the assassination? Uh, we had initial reports that police surrounded that uh, five or six-story building, the book repository building, uh, where the assassin waited for the motorcade. Is that correct? And if so, uh, was anybody else arrested, do you know? Or was anybody else in the building, as a matter of fact? Whether there was anyone else in the building or not has not been uh, fully established. My feeling is that there wasn't anyone else in the building at that particular time. That's a feeling based on a number of conversations with police. Yes. Police ringed the building uh, within minutes after the shooting. I would say within 15 minutes at the longest, and I'm inclined to think it was less than that. They ringed the building completely, and then they established a ring around about a five or six block area on all sides of the building. Within 45 minutes after the president was shot, but that still would have by inch, foot by foot, search of the building was underway. But that still would have given the assassin time to make his getaway, would it not? It certainly would have. I see that Captain Fritz of the Homicide Department now says it has been established that Oswald was in the building at the time the shot was fired, and police are understood to be making paraffin tests on Oswald's hands for marks of gunpowder. I have not heard that report. I can check it very quickly with Nelson Button, the CBS newsman who is standing by at the police station while we t participate in this broadcast. I would say that if police have definitely established that Oswald was in the building at the time of the shooting, on the basis of what they've been saying all evening long, that uh, this increases the probability uh, or the possibility of charges being filed in a short while. Yes, you mean assassination charge. That's right. Mm-hmm. On the basis of your years as a police reporter in Texas, what is likely to happen now? What will happen? What's the procedure that will be followed now that he has been charged with the uh, killing of Patrolman Tibbet? Well, first of all, let's point out that there is no federal law against the killing of the President of the United States, at least uh, the local attorneys who were around the police station said pointed this out, that what has been violated is the law against a murder in the state of Texas which means that if any charges are filed against anyone, that person will be tried in the state of Texas. Now, he will be charged at the police station by Justice of the Peace, which is at the very lower end of the court uh, spectrum in the state. After and if charges are filed before Justice of the Peace, the man charged is entitled to a quick uh, pre-trial hearing uh, if he is indicted. Immediately after the charges are filed, then he will be given an opportunity to make bond. Uh, that is, if a judge can be convinced that uh, an opportunity to release the man on bond should be granted. It's possible that a judge would say, in this case, and under Texas law this can be done, in this case, uh, I don't believe it's safe to let the man out, either for his safety or the safety of other people. And he could refuse, a judge could refuse to set bond. However, it would be normal for a bond to be set, even in a case like this, uh, a defense attorney, would make a plea to allow the man to be released on bond, the bond might be set so high that the person would not be released. But let us say that immediately after charges are filed, the man is brought before a 
magistrate, a, a judge, and makes a plea for bond. The judge refuses the bond. I would say on the basis of my experience and in light of the case, it, uh, it's highly probable that the judge would not allow the person accused of the assassination of the President of the United States to be released on bond. I would say that's a safe assumption. <laughs> the man then would be taken to the county jail here in Dallas County and would await a possible indictment by a county grand jury. Granted that he was indicted by the grand jury, there then would be a pretrial uh, consultation between the prosecution attorneys and the prosecution for the defense. If the man was not able to hire his own counsel, the counsel would be provided to, by the state of Texas. How long would all this process take, Dan? Weeks? A month or so? Or what? I would say more probably in the neighborhood of two to three months. I would point out that it's not necessarily so that the man would be tried in this county. His defense attorneys, of course, could ask for a change of venue. And could On grounds that, that he couldn't man... get a fair trial in Dallas. That's right. But if a change of venue were granted, it, the trial would have to be held somewhere in the state of Texas. So uh, you think that within two or three months, uh, he might come to trial before a jury? It could be less than that, but... Uh, Considering the case and the normal procedures, I would say two or three months, probably around the first of the year. Dan, we've all heard in the last three years or so, so much about the Kennedy compound at Hyannisport, the home to which the president liked to go so much. He always liked to go back to Cape Cod, if not to the family home, to another home nearby. And we're now probably going to hear a great deal about the Johnson Ranch. I believe you've been there. I wonder if you could give us a little eye eyewitness picture of it. Oh, happily, Dallas. For whatever else you say or think about Lyndon Johnson, he has a beautiful home. His home is just west of Austin in the central part of the state. It is in the hill country of the beginnings of West Texas. It runs by the Pertinalis River, which is a small river which flows rather rapidly. The spread is flat land in that particular area. The house is a frame house, a rather old house, but beautiful in that it stands in a a Texas colonial architectural uh, style. Uh, some of our architect friends will probably uh, give us a hard time about that description, but it has a little bit of the old south colonial look to it, but at the same time has a western look in the architecture of the home. It has a swimming pool in the front yard. Just behind the house there are some servants' quarters, and immediately behind the house there are fields of various crops. Uh, the last time I was on the Johnson Ranch, which I believe was last spring. At any rate, just behind the house, a cotton field, and within view of the back door, considerable grazing land for cattle. I think the place will probably be considerably enlarged now that it will serve as the compound, as you put it, for the weekend retreats of the new president. What about the family flag that always flies over the home when he's there? Well, I think the family flag will continue to fly. They have a flagpole right in front of the home. It uh, has for as long as I can remember, and I suspect for as long as Lyndon Johnson can remember, it has flown a flag that at one time flew over the capital of the United States. It hasn't always been the same flag uh, as one flag would wear out, another replaced it, but always a flag that at one time or another had flown over the capital. Uh, what is the nearest town, Dan, to uh, the Johnson Ranch? Johnson City, Texas, is the closest town of any size. How far away is that? About 14 miles, perhaps a little bit less than that. So we can assume that the uh, the Secret Service and the White House press corps 
uh, maybe a little bit cramped for space when they cover the president uh, on his weekends in Texas. I would say that you probably will see the greatest motel building boom in history uh, going on in the Johnson City uh, LBJ Ranch area very soon. There are practically no facilities for handling outsiders except in the homes of private individuals in that area right now. Yes, and as we know, when the president moves, a great many other people move right along with him. And they'll have to do that in this case also. The closest town where there are sizable accommodations now is Austin, which is a, a good two-hour drive away. Well, Dan, um, is there anything more that you think uh, should be said uh, this evening after this, after this tragic day in, in Dallas uh, with its consequences for the state, for the nation, and for the world? Dick, I think it may be said that, and this may be a prejudiced viewpoint, for as some of our listeners may know, um, this correspondent was born and raised in Texas. But Texans are sensitive people. It was unfortunate that this had to occur in Dallas because of Dallas's reputation in recent years of being rude to visitors from the outside. Whether the reputation was justifiable or not might be debatable, but uh, the reputation stood nonetheless. Had it occurred anyplace else in Texas outside of Dallas, Texans might could write it off in their own minds and in their hearts as just one of those things and it just happened to happen here. But because it happened in Dallas for at least a while and in, at least until the facts are known as to who did it and why, Texans are going to be asking themselves why, why, why did it have to be in Dallas? Dan Rather, thank you very much for your eloquent and incisive report. This is Richard C. Hotelet and Dallas Townsend at CBS News headquarters in New York. And we will pause now for five seconds for stations along the line to identify themselves. This is the CBS Radio Network. This is KRLD AM and FM in Dallas. As the night goes on, the night after President Kennedy's tragic death, of course, all activity begins to focus on Washington, and there's a dispatch in now from Honolulu that six members of President Kennedy's cabinet, headed by Secretary of State Rusk, have, uh, are on their way back uh, to, uh, to, toward Washington. They had left Hickam Air Force Base bound for Tokyo this morning. They were going to have a three-day United States-Japanese Congo conference there, but uh, when they, they uh, got the word, the midair on their way between Honolulu and Tokyo, they ordered the plane turned around. Now, after a uh, brief refueling stop uh, back from Honolulu, the plane took off again uh, some hours ago for the eight-hour and ten-minute flight to Washington. The plane, with the Secretary of State aboard and a number of the other cabinet members, is due to land in Washington in just about 45 minutes from now. Uh, in Honolulu, Robert Manning, the Deputy Secretary of State for Public Affairs, uh, made a statement for the six cabinet members saying that they were shocked at the grievous tragedy that had befallen the country. Dick, uh, some of our stations have had queries from listeners as to the display of the flag, uh, that is, during the period of mourning. The proper display of the flag was the subject of an act of Congress in 1942. That act carries no penalties, so it is, in effect, a recommendation only insofar as civilians and unofficial groups are concerned. 
However, government buildings and military installations of the United States in this country and around the world will fly the flag at half-staff for 30 days. This is under a proclamation issued by President Eisenhower in 1954. That proclamation specified that the flag should stay at half-staff or half-mast for 30 days upon the death of the president or a former president. As we move toward the end of our extended coverage of this national catastrophe, I think it might be well for the benefit of our listeners who perhaps have joined us late to uh, go back and recapitulate uh, briefly uh, the events of this day. As far as the president was concerned, in public, they began at 8.50 a.m. Central Standard Time when the president came out of the Texas Hotel and this was in Fort Worth, came out of the Texas Hotel in Fort Worth and addressed a friendly crowd of about 5,000 persons in a parking lot across the street. At 8.55 a.m., he walked back into the hotel. At 9 a.m., he arrived at a Chamber of Commerce breakfast. Mrs. Kennedy joined him a bit later. The president remarked humorously that it took her a bit longer to get organized. At 10.30 a.m. Central Standard Time, the presidential party left the Texas Hotel in Fort Worth, and at 11.10 a.m., they arrived at Carswell Air Force Base. At 11.25 a.m., they left Carswell Air Force Base by plane for the short trip to Love Field in Dallas. At 11.35 a.m., they arrived at Love Field, and there was a crowd of about 2,500 persons there waiting for them. The president's motorcade, in fact, was delayed so that he could shake hands with greeters at the airport. At 11.50 a.m., the presidential motorcade left Love Field. At 12.16 p.m., this is still Central Standard Time, the motorcade reached the outer edge of the downtown area of Dallas. At 12.25 p.m., the motorcade passed through the heart of the downtown area. At 12.29, the motorcade went from downtown toward the Dallas Trademark site of the luncheon at which the president was to speak. At 12.31 p.m., according to this revised timetable of today's events, at 12.31 p.m., the president and Governor John Connolly of Texas were shot. The motorcade immediately speeded up and went as fast as possible to the Parkland Memorial Hospital. At 12.40 p.m., a staff surgeon and a neurosurgeon performed a throat operation and applied breathing stimulants to the president. But the operation was a failure. It could never have been a success, apparently, in view of the wounds the president suffered. The bullet had hit the back of his head, had, uh, had blown out a large part of the back of his head, and uh, the breathing stimulants could not work either. At 1 p.m. Central Standard Time, the president died. At 2.07 p.m., a bronze casket containing the body of the president, and that casket was accompanied by Mrs. Kennedy, left Parkland Hospital for Love Field. At 2.27, Mrs. Kennedy boarded Air Force One, the presidential plane, accompanied by the coffin. At 2.39 p.m., also on board the presidential plane, Vice President Lyndon Johnson took the oath of office as president from U.S. District Judge Sarah T. Hughes. At 2.47, the plane was airborne for Washington. And now, for the latest, at the White House, we will switch to the White House and Stephen Banker. Sometime during the night, the body of President Kennedy will be brought to the White House to be prepared to lie in repose tomorrow. 
When the hearse arrives from Bethesda Naval Hospital, representatives of all the military services will line the White House Drive, the lobby, and the hallway to the East Room. There, his body will be placed on a catafalque, a temporary resting place similar to that used for the body of Abraham Lincoln almost a century ago. An honor guard will be on continuous duty during the night. On each side of the catafalque will be two lighted candles, and two priests on kneelers will pray for the president at his side throughout the night. The Kennedy family has asked that no flowers be sent either to the White House or to the funeral. They ask those who would otherwise have sent flowers to give to charity instead. Mrs. Kennedy stays with her husband's remains at Bethesda Naval Hospital so far, and she will remain there through the night. She is not under sedation. The Attorney General is with her. The whereabouts of their children is unannounced. And here, well, a long day has finally ended for Lyndon Johnson, and he has gone back, perhaps for the last time, to his home outside Washington. Tonight, no president or member of a presidential family occupies the White House. Outside this famous building, tonight like other nights lit by floodlights, a silent crowd of thousands has been walking for hours. It is not exactly a mourning crowd. One does not see many tears shed amongst them. It is, if a definition could be found of such a group, a history-conscious crowd, drawn, it seems, by the magnitude of the event. Across Pennsylvania Avenue, there are knots of more somber-looking people. There, police permit them to stand, while if they approach the White House, they are made to move on. Just what it is these thousands are hoping to see cannot be stated by any of them. The main White House activity is centered in the press section, where President Kennedy's staff works on into the night. Andrew Hatcher, who had been deputy to presidential news secretary Pierre Salinger, is in charge until his boss returns early tomorrow morning from a trip in which Secretary of State Rusk and he had planned to go to Japan. Also, Malcolm Kilduff, another Salinger assistant, is here. Kilduff was on the Dallas trip today. The strain is not difficult to perceive on either his or Hatcher's face, but there is work to do, and they are doing it. They are assisted by half a dozen secretaries who, in front of us, have held back their tears. This will be a long night for them, but not as long as the day has been. For a few more hours, they will work as the Kennedy team. This is Stephen Banker at the White House.